Broken lines, broken strings. Broken threads, broken springs. Broken idols, broken heads. People sleeping in broken beds. Ain't no use jiving, ain't no use joking. Everything's broken. Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts, broken words never meant to be spoken. Streets are filled with broken hearts. Everything's broken. Seems like every time you stop and turn around, something else just hit the ground. Broken cutters, broken saws, broken buckles, broken laws, broken bodies, broken homes, broken voices on broken phones. Take a deep breath. Feel like you're choking? Everything's broken. Every time you leave and go off someplace, things fall to pieces in my face. Broken hands on broken plows, broken treaties, broken vows, broken pipes, broken tools, people bending broken rules, hound dog howling, bullfrog croaking. Everything is broken. Those are the words according to St. Bob Dylan, if you weren't aware. In my last series of six sermons, this is sermon number two. And uh, it's interesting. I actually originally wrote this 11 years ago for Scum. And uh, when I was working on my book, I thought, well, I think there's some decent stuff in there. I should keep it. And so on the Word document that I was writing the book on, I kind of stuck it in the back and, and thought, well, I'll use it for reference at some point. And then um, I discovered notebook view for Word documents where you've got all these tabs like it was a regular paper notebook. And I thought, oh, this really works out well, better than the other one, because I can just go from chapter to chapter in notebook view. And this sermon disappeared. I don't know where it went. I just couldn't find it. Uh, in notebook view, totally forgot about it, uh, and then came time to turn the final manuscript in, and um, I had to put it back into regular Word doc view, sent it in, and next thing I know, I'm talking to my editor, and he goes, let's talk about your last chapter, and he started talking about a chapter I had not written. I'm going, what are you talking about? He goes, this last chapter about people being broken, needing a Savior. I'm going, wait a minute, let me go look at what I sent you. And so I went back, and there was this sermon. He goes, Mike, actually, I thought it would be a great last chapter to your book. And so we worked on it a bit more, and um, it became the last chapter. Interesting thing, as reviews started coming in, people would say things like, this book should be read from the back to the front. One reviewer on Amazon said, the last chapter of Mike's book should be torn out and gently nailed to the doors of every church and parachurch organization in the country. Which I thought was really high praise. And so, as I thought about what I want to leave with you, what I want to say to you, I'm thinking I couldn't say it any better than that. And so, you're getting the broken church. 
About 19 years ago, a group of young people gathered in Mary's and my living room, and they came up with a line that's in our mission statement that says, we strive to be a church that recognizes its need for a Savior. I think the reason that people 19 years ago could say that is because they realized that we were broken, that we all needed fixing, that we needed a Savior, that we were a bunch of sinners, and that we were church people who didn't know how to do church, and we were thinking about starting a church. I'd like you all to remember that. That's a bit of Scum's legacy that I think is important not to forget. Where do we come up with an idea like that? It's all over the Scriptures, really. Here's some selections. No, they're not. Dave, the next slide, please. (laughs) Somebody? There we go. From selections from Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. You know my folly, O God. My guilt is not hidden from you. But I pray to you, O Lord, in the the time of your favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Scorn has broken my heart and left me helpless. Here's the deal. Old Testament, New Testament... In the New Testament, I feel like I've been the Apostle Peter sometimes who found himself trying to walk to Jesus on top of the water out of a boat in a storm-tossed lake. The wave-broken surface of the water, the skies broken with clouds and moonlight. And all of a sudden he's crying out to Jesus, save me, because he's sinking into the storm, into the lake. Peter was a guy who knew Jesus. Peter was a guy who loved Jesus. Peter was a guy who followed Jesus. I'm a guy who knows Jesus. I'm a guy who loves Jesus. I'm a guy who follows Jesus. And I'm still broken. I need salvation because I sink all the time. I mean, way too often for somebody who's a professional Christian... I think there's an appropriate neediness for those who love God. It's appropriate that we are needy and that we need God. One of the titles for Messiah in Isaiah is Everlasting Father. He's called Everlasting Father because we are in everlasting need. Back when I was a very young Christian, I had a friend who used to respond to people who accused him of using Jesus as a crutch. He would say, well, if Jesus is a crutch, at least he keeps him from falling on my face. And I'll add more to that. I'll say, I don't need just Jesus as a crutch. I need him as a whole emergency transport system. Because sometimes I am falling down and I can't move. 
I think it's okay to bemoan this sad state of affairs, frankly. Hear the whistle blow. It echoes down my soul. It's something I've always known. Nothing sounds so sad. A cry to the unknown. The fundamental sigh of all who have gone this way before lay me down to sleep. Come and comfort me. I'll sleep in peace in a house of broken dreams. I'm old enough to know that dreams are quickly spent like pouring rain on warm cement or fingerprints in dust, nectar on the wind. Save them for tomorrow and then tomorrow let you down again. Lay me down to sleep. Come and comfort me. I'll sleep in peace in a house of broken dreams. Give me the reasons to go on. Soften the sorrow that shatters and bends and mend broken dreams. Sentimental hearts, hungry for the past, penniless at the wishing well. Memories will last and cover certain scars acquired in the daily grind of being what we are. Lay me down to sleep. Come and comfort me. I'll sleep in peace in a house of broken dreams. That's a song by one of my favorite Christian singer-songwriters, a guy named Mark Hurd. I used to sing it over and over again at some of the lowest points in my life because I felt exactly like that. At that point, I was the age a lot of you are right now. I've been a Christian for almost 20 years, yet my life looked like crap. I had a hard time being a good husband. I had a hard time being a good father. I had a hard time putting bread on the table. I had a hard time doing a job that I had a hard time liking. And somehow, through it all, day in and day out, I recognized I needed a Savior. Another broken passage of Scripture reads, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. And that's that's how I feel very often, even today, that I'm a broken man. I'm not a loner. No sackcloth and ashes, just a heart on a tether with a vagabond mind. But this will be a broken man come shivering out of this winter time. I'm a broken man. A broken man, an outcast on the outskirts of the promised land. A broken man. A broken man. A broken man. I have faltered in my strength. I wanted to do everything right. I swallow hard while the second hand blinks. I shut the back door to keep out the night. Is it just a game? Is this a maze to lead me right back to where I started from? This will be a broken man that comes shattered from this marathon. I'm a broken man, a broken man, an outcast on the outskirts of the promised land. A broken man, a broken man, a broken man. Maybe I fear the crush of guilt. I can't take that kind of weight. Maybe I'm afraid when the thunder breaks, scared of losing the things I love so much. I pretend I ain't scared. I'm not frightened by no third degree, but this will be a broken man. Come begging for your charity. I'm a broken man, a broken man an outcast on the outskirts of the promised land. A broken man. By Mark Hurd as well. 
mean, can you imagine what Mark Hurd had to go through to write those two songs? I think he was perhaps one of the best Christian singer-songwriters of his day, but most people never heard of him. And he had a hard time providing the bare essentials for his family. And then while he was still a young man, I think he was 41 years old, he had a heart attack on stage at Cornerstone Music Festival in Illinois. And he died a short time later. But he had a Savior whom he sang about as well. The Christian life is weird. And I'll say this again. It's upside down. How strange it is that when you're broken, you're closer to being whole. That when you're weak, you're right where God wants you to be. How upside down is it that God wants a mature son or a mature daughter to still be dependent upon Him? The times that I've been closest to God in my life are when I've been literally knocked to my knees. I don't go there willingly to pray. But life knocks the wind out of me. And I crumple on the floor like someone has just kicked me. That's when I'm closest to God. It's not when I'm feeling great. It's not when everything is going well in all my relationships. It's not when the church is full. It's not when the offering buckets are overflowing. It's not when things are going well in my marriage. I'm not as close to God when things are going great. I'm not as close to God when things are going well with my kids. I'm not as close to God when things are going well with my job or my relationships or my neighbors. The weird thing is that I get closest to God when life is at its worst. I know that's a choice I've got to make. It's a choice that you have to make. It doesn't automatically happen. But as I look back on the hardest times in my life, that's when I have felt the closest to God. Truly, as time goes by, those times begin to glow more and more like gold. Everything else becomes dross. I have a phrase that I say about those times. Maybe you've heard me say them. I wouldn't trade those hard times for a million dollars, but I wouldn't give you a nickel for any more of them. Because those are the lessons that I learned during those times that are going to carry me not just through this life that's difficult, but into eternity. The Christian life is strange. The Lord Himself, Jesus, says this to the Apostle Paul, who is undergoing his own brokenness. Next slide. Jesus says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So, you know, here we are stuck in this life where to be broken is really to be the safest. And to be whole is a dangerous place to be in. And because of this, we struggle and we strive 
and we aim and we try to be a church that recognizes its need for a Savior on a daily basis. It's one of the hallmarks of scum of the earth. Over the years. I can't tell you how many times people come to scum and they say to me, well, you guys are so real. I just think we're telling them like it is. We're just being honest. There's nothing strategic about it. It's not some shtick we do to try and gain notoriety so that more people come. We're just admitting that we're broken people who need a Savior on a regular basis. We need salvation continually, every day, even after you become a Christian. We're quite in line with Philippians chapter 2, which is right up there. Therefore, my dear friends, Paul says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. So, what Paul's saying is, we are continually converted. We are continuously converted. We're always broken, so therefore we always need a Savior. That is why we are continuously converted. You've heard the analogy, I'm going to say it again, that it's like our lives are this house. And when I asked Jesus into my life, I asked him into the front room. I gave him the key to the front door. And it was great for him to stay right there in the front room for a long time. We were doing great. Until Jesus wanted to start knocking on the other doors in the house. Like the bedrooms. Where I didn't want him to go. It took me a while to let him into those rooms. And if I didn't let him in... Eventually, he kicked the door down. And he forced his way in because I had given him the keys to the house. And after that, there were really, really dark things that I was hiding in the back closets that I didn't want him seeing. But there again, Jesus was bent on continually converting me, and he's still doing that to this day. Jesus was determined that I'm going to recognize my need for a Savior whether I wanted to or not. And it will go on that way and on that way until the day I die and I finally have all my doors and even the windows flung open wide. So, we got a problem. Our problem is that we have an idealized picture of ourselves. The problem is, frankly, and this goes for every one of us here, we see ourselves as better than we really are. And we've done this since we were children. I think it's a hallmark of being childish that you think you're better than you are. When I was 18 and 19 years old, 
a new Christian. I was God's gift to the church in the world. I was intelligent. I was mature for my age. I had a good sense of morality. I was energetic. I got a lot of stuff done. I had so many talents. I didn't know what to do with them. The problem with thinking like that, when you're a small sinner, like I was at 18 and 19 years old, or so I thought, all I needed was a small Savior. If you're a small sinner, all you need is a small Savior. And if you're a tiny sinner, well, then you don't need a Savior at all. You can handle it all by yourself. Thank you very much. We read the Scriptures. We go to church. We listen to the sermons. We read the books. And we know that Jesus will save us up here in our heads. We know enough to know that we need Jesus in our lives somewhere, if only for fire insurance to get us out of hell and into heaven. But sometimes we forget that we need a Savior once we become Christians. Isn't that odd? <laughs> it's like we've been turned into these little Pharisees without even trying. And that's when we don't love God. That's why. That's why we don't love God. Although our lips feign praise, our hearts are far away. That's why we don't love God. We're so consumed with self, we can't love anybody else. We mask the nakedness of our mortality, cloaked with this poison pride and, and the illusion of control. We need the gift of grace more than with the air we breathe. But as we, it draws us near... It repels our stubborn souls. And that's why we don't love God. Oh yes, our lips feign praise, but our hearts are far away. That's why we don't love God. I don't want my prayers to be some kind of meaningless litany. Why are we so afraid? Why are we so guarded? Why are we so counterfeit? Is it because we know somehow the shadows that we conceal? And we are so alone, wolves in the winter snow, never imagining that this mercy could be real. We say we need a little help. We need some new direction. And so we avoid the blessing like a curse. We're only lying to ourselves. What we need is resurrection. What we need is second birth. So says Randy Stonehill in his song, That's Why We Don't Love God. There is something crazy about Jesus. He draws us in with promises of joy and eternal life and wholeness. But the closer we get, the more that we're repulsed by the truth He reveals. That we are broken people, that we are needy people, and that we desperately need a Savior. And that's why we don't love God. Because to get continually closer to Jesus means that we recognize our need 
for a Savior more and more and more. One of the things that amazes me about old saints when you meet them, now these are people, you know, grandparents who are the holiest people you've ever met, are kind to everybody. All the kids love them, right? You can't imagine them hurting a fly. And then you talk to them about when they came to Christ, and they start to cry. They're so grateful for Jesus saving them from themselves and from a life of sin. You're going, like, you're the most righteous person I've ever met in my life. But why is that? Because they have realized the extent to which they need a Savior. New rooms are being opened up in their souls all the time. They're going, oh, I shouldn't have spoken that way. I shouldn't have used that tone of voice. They're more concerned about sins of omission, like I should have done that. I should have given that lady more money than I did. The one on the street with the four little kids and the cardboard sign. I didn't give her enough. The solution to this problem, we need a real picture of ourselves as broken people who recognize our need of a Savior. Problem, we have an idealized picture of ourselves. Solution, we need a real picture of ourselves as broken folks who recognize our need of a Savior. Now here's the truth, and I know this because I'm a pastor. People are always looking for saviors. I talk to people. I've talked to people for well over 20 years about their lives. And in your head, you're thinking that Jesus is my Savior. And I need Him because I'm broken. But in your heart, what you're actually saying is, if I could only get a boyfriend, then I wouldn't be broken anymore. If I could only get a girlfriend, then I wouldn't be broken anymore. If I could only get married, if I could have only married somebody else, if I could only get my spouse to understand, then we wouldn't be broken anymore. If I could only move to a new town, if I could only go to a new school, if I could only go to a different school, if I could only go to college, if I could only get a different job, if I could only get out of debt, if I could only, if I could only... And our hearts are full of longings for other saviors than the one we have because we refuse to see ourselves as broken people in need of the true Savior who continually points out that we are broken, namely Jesus Christ. The beauty of the gospel is found in our brokenness because it leads to a genuine redefinition of our relationship with God. Once we can admit to ourselves that we are totally effed up, we have a brand new relationship with the Lord. 
What did Jesus say about the woman? She loves much because she's been forgiven much. One of the things I appreciate about, about scum is that it's the kind of place where I can come and be real and be honest about what's going on in my life. Now, naturally, folks, there are degrees of honesty. You can't be super honest with everybody. I mean, I tell the staff things that I don't say from the pulpit. I remember Jesse Heilman telling me I had to tell the staff certain things because he knew them. And I'm going, okay, fine. I will. But I assure you that routinely we share our brokenness at staff meetings. And I'm asking, do you have a place here at SCUM, a small group, where you can share your brokenness? If you don't, Find one. Make one. Please do if you don't. All right. Next slide. The qualification to be in church is realizing that we are not qualified to be in church. I know this sounds like craziness. But it seems to me that the qualifications to be in any church, truly, is realizing that you are not qualified to be there. I often tell people to stop looking for the perfect church because we get a lot of church shoppers coming through scum. I go, if you're looking for the perfect church, don't join it. Because if you find it and you join it, you'll wreck it. Because you are not perfect. Better to throw your lot in with people who know they're messed up than to keep looking for the perfect church. I failed as a pastor and leader. And looking back on 19 years of being a pastor at Scum of the Earth Church, and i got to tell you, I'm not smart enough to do this job, never have been smart enough to do this job. crying out to God, you got to help me. I'm wondering what the next phase of my ministry life is going to look like. How is this going to happen? How is this going to work out? And then I'm reminded, probably by the Holy Spirit, that I'm going to fail at that too, most likely, because I need a Savior. And if I don't remember that I need a Savior then I'm not going to be effective in the next ministry. And that's the way it's supposed to work. The power of God will be worked out through my weakness and my brokenness, not through my strengths. I mean, who can you relate to? The pastor that gets up and talks about how wonderful life in Jesus is? Or the pastor that gets up and says, this is how I screwed up with Jesus today. Because you're thinking, oh, wow. If the pastor can screw up and still follow Jesus, then I can screw up and still follow Jesus. So what can we do? We can mourn our brokenness. 
Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted in the Sermon on the Mount. It's like the constitution of the kingdom of God. One of the first things He says is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In other words, happy are you when you're sad, because then God, I, can comfort you, Jesus is saying. So why do we mourn? I mean, even if your life is going well right now, there's things you can mourn in the status quo. I don't care who you are. You could have the greatest life around. Plenty of money in the bank. You could have that job that you felt like came down to you from heaven. But there are little girls in Thailand who are being sold into prostitution at the age of seven. And if that doesn't cause you to mourn, I don't know what will. There are people in India who are not given the rights of basic human beings because they were born to the wrong social class. There are people in the Sudan who are being killed because they're Christians. And that should cause you to mourn. There's the porn on your computer or the shoes that you paid way too much for. And then there's a realization that we, as Americans, the richest people in the history of the earth, have caused the poor to suffer just by consuming more of the world's resources than we ought to be. So you see, there's always something to mourn about. But how long has it been since we faced the depth of our own sin and brokenness? I'm usually trying to justify myself and what I've done. If it's too hard for you to face your own sin and brokenness, then ask yourself, why is it so hard for me to face that? Maybe you could begin by asking, what has God saved me from? What has God saved me from? That's some question to have on your mind as you fall asleep. What has God saved me from? Where could I have been without the grace of God? What are the problems I've had in my life that God has actually mended, but where there's a little more work to do? Where there's still brokenness. Because you need, your need of a Savior is a continual thing. It's a daily thing. That we need to ask God to help us with our brokenness. He wants us to be dependent. I can't think of a better way to recognize our need for a Savior than to partake in communion. The Lord's Supper. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is there that we recognize that we are broken, that we are messed up. The people that need to watch out in taking communion are the people that come to eat and drink thinking everything's fine. That they don't really need a Savior. That they are not broken. In the heads, they may have the right words, but their hearts are far, far away. Those are the people that need to watch out. If you, however, come to Jesus broken and are looking for mercy, you're looking for grace, then you will drink the cup the way it was meant to be drunk. And you will eat the bread the way it was meant to be eaten. He gave Himself to us because we are broken. So scum of the earth, please remember always that we are a broken church which desperately recognizes its need for a Savior. Say a prayer with me. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You came for broken people such as we are. Thank you that you will be with us throughout the brokenness of our lives until that glorious day when we stand with you in your new heavens and your new earth and we are made whole like you are made whole. Until then, keep us dependent upon you, realizing our need for a Savior. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.